0: Hi, lovely listeners, it's Tracy. If you've been listening to this program and thinking to yourself, you know, this is great and all, but I'd really love some hands-on design thinking experience, and I've got some exciting news. This summer, I'm teaming up with Field Guide, a design thinking experience, which is a three-day immersive adventure at the Gould Academy in Bethel, Maine. From June 21st to the 24th, we're going to put you in the role of lead designer got a bunch of really experienced and talented design thinkers whose backgrounds range from IDEO to Google to Stanford d.school and we're all here to help walk you through some meaty design challenges. It won't all be work because that's no fun. We're going to do things too like fly fishing. Uh, you can go hiking, biking. We'll be telling campfire stories. There's even something called a forest bath. So, whether you're a teacher, an entrepreneur, maybe you're a nonprofit or a business leader, a policymaker, maybe you're a homemaker or an art maker or a troublemaker or just a curiosity seeker, we'd love to have you there. I'd love to have you there. If you're interested, visit fieldguide.gouldacademy.org, that's G O U L D, or just go to the resultsmayvarypodcast.com website and we'll have a link come for the design thinking skills, come for the like-minded community, come for the forest bath. Uh, Just don't come for the blueberries because I've been told they're not in season. Hope to see you there. Okay, on with the show.
1: Welcome to Results May Vary. This is a podcast to help you design your life. Tracy and I have worked in the field of design and innovation for over 17 years between us. We've helped sustain a food revolution for Jamie Oliver and redesign the way LA County votes. We've even engaged the most creative minds in science by turning their genetic information into music at the TED conference. Throughout our careers, we always wondered, what if we took this same creative problem-solving process we used to help well-known organizations solve their toughest challenges and applied it to people's lives? Would it work? Would anyone listen to us? And maybe even scarier, what would happen if they did? Results May vary. is a thoughtful experiment to see just what happens when you set out to intentionally design your life.
0: Hey everybody, I'm so excited to introduce you to today's guest, Story Musgrave. I'm not sure what you can't say about Story. He holds seven graduate degrees in everything from math and computers to psychology and literature, and he's been awarded 20 honorary doctorates. He was a part-time trauma surgeon during his 30-year career as an astronaut, and he's had a cameo on Home Improvement. Today, he's in his 80s. He operates a palm farm in Florida, and among other things, he gives talks about human performance and raises his young daughter, also named Story. So we asked him how he designed such an incredible life, and he told us he's not sure you can or even should design your life. So however he does it, his perspective and his life story are absolutely fascinating. And talk about the power of design. I was teaching a design thinking workshop and I mentioned I wanted to meet an astronaut and a new friend in the class and hopefully a future guest on the show, Katya Verison, said, oh, an astronaut named Story Musgrave just emailed me the other day about an article I'd written on brain hacks for performance. So I'll introduce you. And so now we get to introduce him to you.
2: Hi, Jersey. Hi,
0: how are you, Story? Fabulous. <laughs> Getting ramped up again with work and everything?
3: Yeah, that's the way it works. <laughs> well, I participate in a marathon out on the beach, in Cocoa Beach.
0: Oh, you're near Cocoa.
3: Well, oh. I'm uh, seven miles southwest of Disney World in Orlando. Okay. We went over to the beach and I worked the running expo and then gave a keynote address on performance. Or, a lot of people the night before, and then I participate in the award ceremony.
0: What are you focusing on when you say performance? Like human performance or uh, like,
3: yeah, Tracy, yeah. I built a presentation just for them. I never do a repeat. I can't do a repeat.
0: What's the fun in that?
3: I know it's no fun. So I got five hundred <laughs> templates.
0: <laughs> right.
3: But so a template may fit. Parts of a template may fit, but then I work it over.
0: Yeah. I'm the same and way, actually.
3: do that. Yeah. So I look at the crowd specifically. I look at the occasion. I look at where the venue is. That matters. Right. And then I build something for them. But since it was people running a half and running a marathon, they're performance oriented people.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: Even if they're not that fast, they're still performance oriented people. So my presentation was based on designing a life of performance.
0: What were some of the things that you talk to people
2: about?
3: Well, I just showed them. Every one of my presentations is a story.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: It starts from the beginning and it goes to the end, and it does tell a story. But I build a story with scenarios. And so I build a story with a whole bunch of dramatic scenarios. And what are the lessons and principles that I can bring out of that scenario to apply to their case? Mm-hmm. That is to people who are in the audience. What can I apply to their case, you see?
0: Absolutely
3: but performance is performance and i don't care what it's not the feel the field you're jan it's the level of perfection and the level of choreography that you do and so you know it's the level of performance that you arrive at it's not the what that matters
0: so do you think that's a mindset that you were instilled with early in life how do you think that came about for you like what do you think drives you to <laughs> perform i guess
3: <laughs> i was driven to survive starting at the age of 3 so I came into a very thick world. I was driven to survive. I can't say I performed. When I got into running farm equipment by myself at the age of nine, that's a form of performance. They don't teach you. They just tell you to do it. Well, you've got to figure it out. And so figuring stuff out is a very particular art form, and I've been figuring stuff out well, since the age of eight, really, when I started riding, riding hay balers I couldn't tie knots and I had to do it by hand. They were very creative on the farm. They put a bench in there and I did it by hand. But from that point on, I operated everything, you know, with uh, just figure it out and get a job done and left remote fields by 12 or 13. I could keep stuff going when it was broke. So, but that's kind of a, so I got to perform. I, mean, I got to perform to survive. Right. And I joined the Marines in 17. I joined them at 16, but I lied about my age and they caught me. <laughs> so, I joined them at 17. I went incredibly fast with the Marines. Well, my farm went under anyway, so then yeah. I have the heavy equipment or the bill a Massachusetts turnpike. For a short time, we finished the pike. I had no high school diploma. I never finished school. Didn't have a job. I joined the Marines. Well, talk about getting the job done. I know how to get the job done. Marines will teach you how to get the job done. Uh, so that's a very particular kind of performance. You want to get a job done, call the Marines. Absolutely. That is a very specific kind of performance. (laughs) Right. And so uh, the crowd was incredibly ecstatic. So I'm showing them a marine way and a marine spirit, and the spirit is the main thing. It's not that you're a marine, it's the spirit. So I I bought them the spirit, but most of this crowd, they understood exactly what I'm talking about. And so, see, so it's multiple domain thinking. It's not their world. There may be some Marines, but they're not necessarily Marines. They're people that run a race. I bought them a whole bunch of scenarios that involve a performance. So I went very fast in the Marines because I had the creativity, the farm kid, and the discipline. You never touch an airplane unless you do it by the book. You don't invent what you're going to do or you're going to be wrong. And so it's incredible discipline of being sure you did it the way they taught you or by the manual. That's the only time you ever touch an airplane in maintenance. I went fast. At the age of 18, I'm signing off airplanes to go to war. I coordinated anything else, and I signed it off. I said, is airplane ready to go. I did that with one stripe at the age of 18, that's called performance.
0: So I'm curious because I would read the article that you'd sent earlier, and it sounded like when you were younger, though, you weren't necessarily following the rules. You were kind of deconstructing and figuring out how to make sense of things.
3: Yes, the rules. Well, sure, that's exactly correct. But when you touch an airplane, it's by the rules.
0: So I wondered I'm if... I'm following the
3: rules, but I know where I gotta go signing off military airplanes for someone to get in and go fly to war. I know what I have to do. Yeah. You're not creative.
0: No, not in that situation. I wondered, though, if you thought that your experiences when you were younger, where you were allowed to sort of be curious and make sense of why things worked the way they did, made you better equipped later when you did have to follow the rules because you kind of understood the principles that lay beneath it.
3: You mean younger? You mean before the Marine Corps?
0: Yeah, Growing up, when yeah. you're kind of doing it out of necessity.
3: Yeah, sure. Yeah. I learned how to survive. and learned how to make stuff happen and figure it out. Keep that machine running when it's broke.
0: One of the things that Chris and I talk about, and I mean, it's a design thinking principle really, is looking at the analogous examples around you. And that's what I think is interesting about the story you're talking about. The marathon is, right, you don't necessarily have to have been in the military, but seeing how performance works in these different scenarios opens your eyes to new ways of approaching.
3: It does. I presented them at least 50 different scenarios, but I went from my stuff there. I went on board an aircraft carrier. I showed them that, and then I showed them a modern-day carrier. Mm -hmm. I showed them all the colored coated people. I told them all the signals, the dance, the absolute dance that the the people are doing for the airplane. And 0 to 180 miles an hour in two seconds, I showed them what that's about. That's called performance. And the way that carrier operates is outrageous. But, see, they just adored it. They understood that. They understood what their performance was. And
0: I wonder, in these scenarios... I mean, we talk a lot about the individual and individual performance, but I would imagine in the military as well as, you know, when you're in the, as an astronaut working with other people, what are some principles for performing as a group? How do you gel together? How do you learn to rely on each other in a way?
3: Why do you rely on each other? That's a range of things. It's a scale. Some people you can rely on a lot some people you cannot. So it gets down to teamwork. So teamwork and team leadership is part of that game. And then the skill set, how proficient you are in whatever job is required at the moment. And so whatever the team got to do in life, mm-hmm. and that's true in the range, too. It's true in NASA. It's true. I don't care where you go in life. It's going to be a group effort. It's hardly any solo business anymore anywhere. Life is a big system. You know, the whole thing is a system. you got to work in a system. And that's one of the lessons that I learned um, very early on a systems thinking i was a systems engineer before they even had them and so i'm a little bit i'm not off the topic that far <laughs> uh, but if you want to get the job done you want to get this job done when that if you want to get the job done you got to identify all the variables that are going to affect your outcome and that's all i am i'm 100 percent that that's who i am that is identify i get dropped i've been on 100 playing fields i get dropped on a new playing field every week and i gotta you know figure this thing out what are the rules of this game? How do we get a finish line? What do these people want? I mean, general electric they're incredibly mean on me. They ask me to do stuff I don't know how to do. They ask me to give presentations on stuff I don't know anything about, but they're the best client I got because they push me so hard. The homework I got to do, you know, to talk to 300 people from global research, the best and the brightest, and I got to talk about stuff I don't know anything about. Anyway, that's life. So,
0: I would say, fun. though, that you, I would argue that you do a great job at that and that a lot of people struggle in the world to figure out how to do that well. And so do you have any go-tos when you're prepping? How do you do that?
3: Go-tos. It's the details. It's the stupid details. It's one of the variables you got to manage to get to the finish line. But I just do, uh, I do my homework. So, of course, when I'm asked to do a topic, I don't know about Turns out I did not know a lot about the topic. I just thought I didn't.
2: Mm-hmm. Gee, you
3: knew better than I did what I knew about. But you just got to work the details. And so whatever the topic is, you work the details. Mm-hmm. Every single topic, you're trying to get to the finish line. You dropped on some playing field. And so I've read your past, the past eight or nine people that spoke on your program. Mm. That's fascinating. But you get dropped on some playing field. And uh, what are the rules of this game? And what are the objectives? What am I trying to get done on this playing field? What is the finish line? What are the objectives? And now, thinking as a system, what do I have to manage? What factors, what people, what hardware or software, what details have I got to manage within a certain range that will allow me to get to the finish line and ask the system and the configuration it needs to be in that will satisfy my objectives? that's what I got into. I got into that. I was doing that on the farm and in the Marines. When I got to college and found out there's a quantitative way to deal with that called multivariate statistics and calculus of complex variables, I said, my God, here I got a math that'll deal with this stuff. And I've done it ever since. Hmm. I've done that ever since. So that was my freshman year in college. I got into that stuff. It's weird stuff, but it's not. It's a way of thinking. And that was at Miami of Ohio? uh, That was Syracuse University. Miami was an honorary degree. Okay. Yeah.
0: But I wondered, so kind of what you're talking about... Reminds me of sort of the engineering process, and you'd mentioned that you consider yourself an engineer. I mean, you're many things. That's one of them. And another thing that you are is a designer. And so I wonder, how do those two processes work together in your own
3: world? Yes, of course, you get into the semantics. <laughs> you're into semantics right away, and semantics are nasty. Yeah. They're almost nasty. I don't do semantics. So I do a fessor's hop on every concept that comes up. And that means well, I always got some word processor sitting there. I'll throw the word of the concept in, hit review thesaurus, and I'll look at all the various ways you can express that tool. Then you move the other word, the subword, up in the main time word, and then you do another level. So you've done you're a second-degree thesaurus now. And I'll take it down to where it becomes irrelevant. But if I want to really pursue some concept, that concept for me is an entire 8 by 11 page of words. Semantics, you know, is pointing when you use a word, it points at something. Yeah. And it stuffs it in a box. It puts a label on it in uh, linguistics, and it stuffs it in a box. And I don't deal in boxes. See, I don't like boxes. I don't deal in boxes. So, but engineering, yeah, I'm an engineer. But I think a little bit of difference in the engineering is engineering may be more driven by requirements in terms of what is this thing got to do. Those are the requirements that it must do. So. You're working in a more linear fashion to say, what has this thing got to do for me? And then you come up with some kind of specifications and you come up with a project management that will lead you in an organized, not linear, but well, maybe linear, semi-linear, in an organized fashion to the end where you have something which meets the specifications you thought would be the right ones, so the system will perform to meet the requirements it's supposed to. A design works different. I think design works, it doesn't know where it's going to go. I think engineering tries to find out where it wants to go a little earlier than a designer. Although they're very similar. They're very similar designing and engineering, and mm-hmm. they should be similar. But I think the designer is more attuned to the fact they don't know where they're going. She doesn't know what the answer is. So she's going to play with it, come up with a bunch of prototypes. And so design her prototypes incredibly fast. And so the company I work for Applied Minds today and also my teaching at the Arts Center College for Design, you notice I'm a design professor now, not an engineering professor.
0: I know. I noticed that. That's why I was curious.
3: It's where I belong. But we don't know the answer, and we don't know where we're going. And so I think it's incredibly important, even for engineering, or straight line project management, that you not fix requirements too early. I think requirements, that they are up for grabs along the way too. So you've got to get into something to find out what you really want it to do for you. There may be a different way that this thing is going to perform for you than you anticipated once you get into it. But I think a designer is more open to the fact they don't know where they're going. And so it's rapid prototyping and see well is this do we continue on this path or notice is not working or it shows you a fork in the road or you go off some place different. So I think those are maybe that's maybe a little bit of the difference between engineering and design.
0: I think that's spot on. And also, I wanted to talk about this just for my own sake. But, Story, I actually worked at Disney World for a semester when I was yes. in college. And yes. so I wanted to, at some point, talk about your Disney Imagineering experience.
1: Yeah, Amazing. So, Story, maybe one thing to ask you is when you look at the world, what do you see, right? I'll, I'll give you an example for Tracy and I have had the privilege to work with some very bright engineers at IDEO, and it's just fun going on a trip with people with different backgrounds. So if we walk out in the world with an anthropologist, they're just constantly curious about people's social interactions. Engineers are looking at the buildings, wondering how many bolts would it take to keep that thing standing. And the traditional kind of artistic designers are looking at the colors, right? When you walk around the world, what's in your head? What are you looking at? Tracy's told me a little bit about optimization, so I'd love to yeah, hear. Well, I, I know it's an odd question, but.
3: No, it's not odd. It's right on target. So but I move amongst context, you know, different contextual and my explorer, exploration of the world and my perceptions of the world, and they're contextually driven. So, but if there's an insight there, I'm gonna go and make friends with a bug first. If there's any form of creature that will dictate my attention if there's any form of creature, that will drive me, that will focus me to the exclusion of most other things until I have made friends with the creature. And so, but I'm very, a nature, I'm very cosmic driven. Mm -hmm. Uh, The creature is part of the cosmos. So I think I'm very cosmic driven in terms of uh, the stars and the water and the vegetation and the creatures. And so, you know, say you what is my view of the world, when you walk with different people in the world and you see how they look at it, I think I would start with biology and then move to geology, geography, and astronomy. I would move down my pursuit of nature and then move into other realms. Interesting.
1: Yeah, very interesting. And so how do you design your life? How does it what's it like? If we were to see your life, what's it like?
3: That's fascinating. Chris, I don't think you can or should uh, design a life the light of my life now is my nine-year-old and that's little story musgrave i'm big story musgrave and that's little story musgrave and so she's it so she's my center point she's my anchor she's what i live for and but you said did i design that no i didn't design that i didn't plan on having children i'm 80 i didn't plan that And you might not plan that. You might think that doesn't fit. It's the most perfect thing I have ever done. It fits absolutely perfect. It's just the most delightful thing to do things with her and come home to her. And to have someone at this point in life, it's absolutely perfect. Well, see, that's one example. I didn't design that, and I could not have designed that. Mm -hmm. And no one would have thought. But life happens. Now, life is one endless fork in the road. But... Now, you can if you're stable, if you get stable, a stable occupation, a stable social life, stable everything, uh, then you can sit there and that's where you sit. Uh, But if life for you continues to evolve, you don't know where you're going. People always ask me, well, when you were a child, did you want to be an astronaut? That's a key question because children tend to want to be firemen or maybe astronauts, something like that, you know. And they'll ask me. They're forgetting in the 1930s, I didn't want to be an astronaut. And so it happens. Mm -hmm. I get my first PC. I'm 48 years old. How could you possibly be so primitive, story? I wasn't. I got a Commodore 64. (laughs) I got them as soon as they came out. (laughs) But what I'm saying is, is life happens. Technology happens. And for you now... If you're reinventing yourself and you're evolving with new technologies, new social structures, you have not designed that life. So what I do is and what I do teach a personal and professional development all around at the college too, it's one step at a time to Your passion and your dreams and your curiosity at the moment for what you jump into. But you jump into that and then you synergize that with everything, 100% of everything you've done in the past. You synergize with that and that all then comes together as a skill set that you have to solve some particular problems. I don't think you can design a life. Got it. I think you do have an operating system. Yes, I absolutely have an operating system but the operating system has to work with different apps all the time it has new inputs all the time mm-hmm. there's no question i have an operating system I had that since age 3 and changed since then really mm-hmm. but so i think it's a can you i'm not sure you can it's interesting and i'm not sure you do yeah. yeah yeah
0: so when you're talking about kind of life is a series of forks in the road and then you take it one step at a time The way that I've been thinking about, like if somebody asked me what is design, to me, it means decisions. And sometimes those decisions are made for you. And sometimes you make them intentionally. Yes. And so I guess my thought of designing life is saying that when you come to those forks, you don't know where you're going to end up. But you either let other people or habits sort of make the decisions, or you intentionally make them yourself. And I wonder, I think my hypothesis is that people don't realize how much control or opportunity they have to make those decisions themselves.
3: Yes. Yeah, I think, well, you answered it. It's exactly like that. Sometimes you get thrown into it. You get dumped out of this playing field. But I got two big things, you know, what is this and what am I going to do with it? And so those are my driving, and they didn't come from me. They came from a gal at L3 Communications Corporation. So you should change the title of your presentation. What am I going to do with this? And I said, yes, ma'am, I've changed it already. That's the title from now on of this particular presentation. And so you enter a new fork in the road, and you got new experiences. And so your future, your future is the native talents you start with. And that's maybe, we get down to nature and nurture. the the trite way of looking at how a person is, who they are, it's their native talents and the experience and total experience and education starting in the womb it makes them. So it's a combination of those two things. But your future is your native talents, the total experience and education, but it's your passion and your dreams, your passion, your dreams, your heart, your emotions, and your curiosity then that drive you into the next thing. Mm -hmm. And so that gives you the energy of pursuit. Without that, you simply don't have the energy of pursuit. And we spoke about having to deal with all the details it takes for the new playing field to get on a playing field and get to the finish line, the rules of the game, the proficiency, the skills, manage the variables to get to the finish line. Uh, so, but the passion and the dream and the curiosity and the awe and the wonder, that gives you the energy of pursuit. So here you sit, you know, on December 1st, and you say, well, what about tomorrow? But another key element is, is what windows of opportunity will open for you. Mm-hmm. Life is not always fair. Right. You may deserve for this door to open. This door may be acceptance into some industry, some job, acceptance of some college. See? So I look upon life as a series of doors. But again, it's native towns. It's the total experience, education, skill set you bring in. It's today's passion, curiosity, today's heart and intuition, which drives you to the next, the next step, the next mountain to climb. Now, what doors open? What targets, what opportunities arrive given who you are at this moment? And what are the meaningful challenges? And that's the reward, that those opportunities have meaningful challenges. That's the way it goes.
1: That's great. I'd love to hear how this played out for you using the astronaut example. And I'm curious, can you talk us through the theory you're describing now? It's actually not theory, really. It's fact for how it's played out for you. But can you talk us through how what you're describing manifests itself through you going from one day I'd like to be in space to actually that manifesting itself?
3: Yeah, I'll go as fast as I can. So I was a farm kid. I drove every piece of equipment at the age of nine. I tied the knots on the bailers. I wouldn't tie the knots at age eight. I fixed it. I kept it going at 12 or 13. Never finished school. I'm off in the Marine Corps. I'm an airplane mechanic. I'm an incredibly good mechanic. The creativity of what's wrong with it, but never creative. So I'll fix it according to the book, you know, in Korea and on the carrier to wasp. I deal that with airplanes. Okay, I'm in college. I get to mathematics down at college, the mathematics and multivariate statistics, how to deal with the probabilities, how to deal with risk. But I miss my Marine Corps days. So what am I doing? I'm driving tanks. I drive tanks with the Marines on weekends. So not only did I drive the tanks, you know, tanks don't fly, but I got 810 horsepower V12. So how can a 20-year-old farm kid complain about 810 horsepower? When my tank broke, I fixed it. I fixed it 40 for a out of the paperwork. And so life went from there. I did heavy construction equipment, helped pay for the way. I had a Corvette at the time, but a Corvette forces you to go under the hood, forces you to drive it. And so then I took up flying, so I'm into multiple airplanes, all the rest of that stuff. Still maintain my skills as a mechanic, airplane mechanic, because that's why I understand the airplane. I understand it by taking it apart, putting it back together, not just by flying it. And so your trauma with people, you see all that stuff. Well, these are little forks in the road. But now, when I got into big computers, I went from the math, I was a mathematician in East I went to UCLA, got the biggest computer in the world, IBM 709. I got into that, but how's the biological intelligence work? If you can call those computers intelligent back then, they weren't, but they did smart-like things. And so but I got interested in biology, how's the brain work? My guy, here's a huge fork in the road, your computer's okay, it's off to medical school, neurosurgical research. I'm doing neurosurgery, heading for neurophysiology, but the space program now happens. So, my God, they put an announcement out for scientists, astronauts, well, my God, who else? Who else is a Marine? Who else is an airplane mechanic? Who else is a surgeon? You know, you add up the total skill set I had acquired at that point, it was absolutely immense. But it was just leaping off. It was just following my passions, you know, along the way. But in 1975, they're going to put a big telescope in space. Who needs to design that and go fix it when it goes bad? Well, who has, you nobody, nobody had the skills that I had. Nobody had near the skills that I had to be able to figure out, to be able to see ahead of time, the problems that it's going to get into, get a line item. If this fails, this is what I'm going to do about it.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: There's the path.
1: Yeah. It's amazing. <laughs> and
3: lucked out. Yes, I lucked out. I lucked out because that job came along. You see, that's the door of opportunity mm-hmm. that came along and it rescued me. It was able to pull together everything I'd ever done in life.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's amazing. I feel like it's you just amazing. described four different people's lives, but exactly. <laughs> but yeah, I hear what you're saying, together. which is right. Where you acquired these skill sets, unknowing how they were going to eventually totally multiply totally and annoying. apply. Yeah, totally exactly. Totally
3: unknowing. Yes. Yeah. So design a life for yourself. I'm not sure about that.
1: Yeah, I actually think where Tracy and I have recognized that our liberal use of the word "design" is makes it sound as if. The way you're hearing it, and I think a lot of people do, is that we're suggesting you have a lot of control over it. And actually, it.
3: there's no question, Chris, you do design it. Right. But you don't know where it's going. Exactly. Right. Exactly. So we do design it because, like you said, you do make decisions. Yeah. Right.
0: But you also said, with the definition of design, is you kind of start without knowing where you're going, right?
3: You don't. So kind you of. Don't know where you're going.
0: Yeah.
1: But what I did hear you say, which resonated in your complete story there, is you certainly kept on the pursuit of what you knew you wanted to do. Like your passion was a consistent theme there, where your passion was driving you. I'd, sometimes I'm sure that passion maybe didn't make a lot of sense. Maybe it wasn't the most lucrative, but you just kept following that curious trail.
3: Yes, it was absolutely a curious trail, but I'm a radical pragmatist. I'm an empiricist and a pragmatist. And if I can apply pragmatics to something, man, that's it. And that's my approach. It's a pragmatic approach. Harrison mm-hmm. James.
1: Right. And I think listening to you, that's what I find really inspiring is, you know, going from tractors to a Corvette to tanks. And ultimately, that's you're unraveling that thread. The
3: rockets are coming later.
1: Right. <laughs> right, right. Right. Exactly. But I think a lot of people don't. They'll that intuitive that sort of heartstring getting pulled, they'll deny that in a way that you did not.
0: Yeah, because I was just gonna ask, at what point did some of the more traditional responsibilities fall upon your shoulder while you're following your curious trail? So I know that you have yeah. kids that are older, and I'd imagine at some point you're having to make decisions about how do I put food on the table. How did that all rectify f- itself for you at that point?
3: Well, I had that all the time. I had accountability and responsibility all the time. Yeah. If you're going to play in multiple fields. And if you Google story musgrave polymath, it's outrageous what you run into. But that's a strange semantic word. If people don't understand it, you can get lost in the semantics. You can talk about Renaissance person. You can talk about universal person and those things. The key thing is if you're going to live in multiple worlds, you decide how deep you're going to go in each one of those worlds. You may take the whole thing on and you may be accountable and responsible for actions in there. That is your ultimate level of expertise that you are accountable and responsible for the outcome or you just bite off whatever you need within that other or the multiple platforms.
0: How did you juggle those for yourself? What were the ones that you feel like you went less
3: deep in? Well, Delta Airlines. I teach Delta Airlines for the whole world. Now, it's not that I teach Delta. I could teach American United Southwest Cathay Pacific. That's not the issue. The issue is Delta Airlines got 15 million flights without a catastrophe. They got two billion passengers without a catastrophe. You're talking nine decimal places. That is an outrageous number, and it's called the R word. It's called reliability. So commercial air for me is your ultimate, your ultimate measure of reliability. You simply cannot beat nine decimal places. And I know how they do that. I'm sort of an insider because I have enough, you know, 18,000 hours of flying experience. That does not make me an insider to commercial air because I don't do commercial air. But I understand it enough to dissect it. So when I talk about bringing people to multiple domains, I will look at what they need And I will dissect them and see where my lessons and principles could fit. And then I go dissect a platform, a different domain over there, and see what I can transfigure and carry across. So if you want the R word, if you want reliability, you absolutely cannot ignore commercial air. But when I want to dissect someone, I can dissect more precisely. Instead of dissecting the whole industry, I will dissect one company. How is it that they can do 15 million flights without a catastrophe? It's an impossible number. Except you add it up. It's 6,000 flights a day. Multiply that times days in years year and how many years since the last accident. It's outrageous. So there is one example. I am not commercial air. I don't run a thing. I don't fly with them. I'm not part of them. I will dissect enough out of them to get their lessons and principles, and I will bring those to some other company that's interested in reliability.
0: Spoken like a true design
3: thinker. <laughs> Is it? I think so, yeah. But I'm asked by oil exploration companies, how do I improve what they do on an offshore drilling rig? They want, what's about the leadership, the teamwork, the expertise, the safety, and the whole thing? I bring them commercial air. I bring them a NASCAR pit crew. I bring them mission control, NASA mission control. What's the difference? I bring them aircraft carrier operations. You know, in terms of reliability, safety, and perfection, there is no difference in aircraft carrier and a drilling rig. Not for me, because I see the synergies. I'm always working synergies. Yeah. And the cosmos, you know, it's only humans. that stuff things in a box. There are no differences. The cosmos is one. So all disciplines are essentially one. And the synergies are there, and you can count on their being there. So I bring aircraft carrier operations, which I know something about because I was there, but I bring that to the drilling rigs. Of course, they're the same so that's multiple platform thinking. Right. Yeah. And so back to, I think I answered your question, but in this, you take on the level of expertise that you want to for the context. So you do a contextual dissection.
0: Yeah, I think that that really, I mean, why I said it sounds spoken like a true design thinker is we're usually similar in the sense that. We work across multiple industries. And so I worked on projects for genetics and I worked for food and beverage companies and I worked in the healthcare space. And you are the one who kind of comes in with that multidisciplinary view and you provide the value because you're not so deeply in the weeds of the industry itself. And that's what's fascinating to me because then I think that that allows you the flexibility to solve problems that nobody else really can
3: your solution is unique yes there's no question now i'm not against i'm not saying i do not say that's superior to hyper specialization
0: no no it's just different at
3: At times you need hyper specialization right it's not superior to it
0: yeah nobody wants me doing brain surgery on them because i've (laughs) i've worked for a beer company
1: (laughs) Yeah. yeah story you've got a number of years behind you as well you do a lot of speaking In different areas and you do a lot of advising now and you've accomplished so much. What kind of themes do you see? What patterns do you see where people you've accomplished so much? And I think a lot of people would look to you saying, wow, he's done so much in his career. I was just looking at your hobbies, chess, flying, gardening, literary, poetry, criticism, literary, criticism, microcomputers, parachuting, photography, reading, running, scuba diving and soaring. You're a pretty busy guy. (laughs)
3: I am. I'm curious,
1: and you've accomplished a lot. What patterns and themes do you see that frustrate you, perhaps? But where can you help others that say, wow, I want to accomplish three-quarters of the amount that Story did or even half the amount that Story did?
3: You're talking about a company or an individual, and they are very similar.
1: Yeah, this sort of, back to your point, is like perhaps they're all one thing. But I'm more curious, I guess, for individuals, but I would love to hear your company example as well.
3: Well, you can look at the company as an individual, Right. But it, I think we've covered that. I think it's one step at a time. I think it's where your curiosity, your energy, your passions, and your dreams, and where your heart is today.
1: I was That's wondering where you see, though, where do you see people get stuck in that? I think that makes sense to a lot of people, but where do you see them, where do they get stuck?
3: Yeah, because they don't take that step, because they don't follow their dreams. They're stuck because, yeah, they're stuck, and so there's not a next mountain to climb. There's not a curiosity. They're not driven. Now, I don't know where the driven comes from. And people, my biographer did one heck of a good job, and she was after it, and I don't think she found it. And she couldn't find it because I haven't found it. So where is the energy for adventure and exploration? Where did it come from? I don't know where it came from. I don't know where it came from. But I I think that's the good point. You have the energy for exploration. Mm Mm-hmm. For mm-hmm. adventure, for the next thing, the next mountain to climb, the next curiosity. Is your curiosity still running? You're still in the game? And right. so you know, it's December second. What you're gonna do on December second?
1: Exactly. It what's sounds different? like what's true for you has also been true for us, where there's also sort of a momentum that's built where if you start picking up rocks because you're curious, you only wanna pick up more because it becomes so interesting and engaging. Yeah. So it's a little bit of unlocking that feeling of being stuck. And then if you don't know what it is, just start picking things up. The passion is the pursuit of the passion, if you're yeah. not sure what the passion is. Yeah. That said, I've so never been in space or operated from? on anybody. I
3: don't know. But I'm fortunate today because i got a great set of clients that drive me. They drive me into new stuff. They always want new stuff.
2: Interesting. And they
3: drive me. So i got to come across. I'm on a, okay, they drop me on a playing field. This is what we want. I always pay attention. The objectives Well, I'm going there, what am I going to do for them? What is the take home? What's the call to action? And I'm a perfectionist that providing them exactly that, but so they drive me right. Does I, that I got homework did, huh?
0: I was just wondering how that translates to how you raise Little Story. How do you, you serve her?
3: And so you saw that uh, Steam Journal article, yeah. That sent that to you, yeah. but well, that's the way that's why I raised Little Story. So, And the little story is always part of my final message when I'm talking about personal professional development. And so the only reason a little story is always, it's a nice thing to finish up the story. And I always tell a story, storytelling is massively important, it's the way humans communicate. And so I have a story, the thread runs from the beginning and the thread runs, it runs It starts in my childhood and it ends up in her childhood. And so you do tell a story, but the story is made up of a whole bunch of scenarios. But I'll finish with her because it's human. But also, she is an empty tabula rasa, mm-hmm. an empty slate. So you start inquiring uh, that environment starts making a difference in the womb. But a child is a much more empty slate than an eighty-year-old. And so, what do you want to put in that slate? You know, of course, tabula rasa, right? Yes. Of mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so it's empty. It's empty, pretty empty to start with. Now, what experiences do you want to give her? Because the things you do as a childhood are critical. You ask a champion skier, when you start skiing, they'll tell you before I can walk. And you got the answer. When you take up the piano, when my hand was big enough to reach the keys, age four. Well, see, that's the way it works. When you're getting wired, it matters. When you acquire skills, when you're getting wired, like I mechan- got the mechanical skills. But of a little story, I just think of the balance of experiences. So, okay, she's massively digital. That just happens. That just happens. You've got all these machines all over the place, and she does that. But for a lot of kids, the mechanical, riding an all-terrain vehicle or driving a tractor or that kind of stuff. I had her driving a car the other day. And so that's the mechanical part of things. But the creatures and getting out in brown water, her love of creatures is outrageous. It's just incredible. And so she knows hornets. Hornets bite. They're nasty. Because if you get near their nest, you know they're going to bite. You can't help it. It's just their genetics. But they bite. They're nasty. I swatted one down in the swimming pool the other day, and it can't fly out of the water. So I says, I got it. And she says, wait a minute, Dad. She went and got a cup. She got the wasps out. I washed her, and she carried it out and put it on a flower. And you don't swat cockroaches in this house. you don't you catch them and carry them out but and her respect for the wigglies she'll go in this brown water and all the wigglies are nibbling on her and that kind of stuff well okay she's into the dirt she's into the mud she's into the muck she's into nature that's that part of the world and her artistic her arts and crafts table is here in the center place It it occupies the center place in the living room it's not back, it's not in the basement, it's not in the attic, and it's not in the back somewhere. It's front and center. And so that means she does not have to go to the back room and be unsocial to do arts and crafts. It means everyone has arts and crafts in their mind, in front and center, in the living room. And so, you know, there's always emphasis. You paint, you're doing pool paint outside, there's painting everywhere. And so I just look at the total experience. And, of course, reading, they're reading stories, going to bed. And, uh, so you just look at the total experience that you can give her, whether it's Mother Earth, or whether it's wildlife, whether it's digital, mechanical, art, and you just look at all those things.
0: I was just going to say what I think is lovely about that is that you've set up a space or your life or her life for exploration and creativity. And when you were talking earlier about asking, well, when did you start playing piano or skiing or doing these other things, what I've noticed in the education space recently and with parents is that there's almost drive to pick the one thing that your kid is going to do. And with the goal that they are going to be the penultimate at that one thing. And what you're talking about is sort of laying everything out for her integrated into her life so that she can let her curiosity lead her to what's interesting.
3: Yes. I'm not saying that's better though, because I have toyed with, I have toyed with creating a grand champion <laughs> that, well, I' toyed with that and and do we do that, or do we don't do that? Do we see some unbelievably native town that we're gonna run with, and that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with being a champion.
0: Have you decided against pushing for that, or yes. was there a reason? Well,
3: yeah, I have in her case, yeah, we didn't take that course. Why not? I don't know default. <laughs> <laughs> Lovely. You do know it is a course, and you do know if you're going to take that course, there's a focus and concentration on a hyper specialist. But that's fine. It's absolutely fine to take that course. Sure. I don't mind that at all.
0: Do you think if she'd exhibited some sort of, like, she's just a master artist or something, that would have changed your opinion? Yes. Uh-huh.
3: Mm-hmm. If I saw an outrageous Native talent and her passion, you know, if she had a passion for it, she had the talent for it, yeah. Mm hmm. Sure, run with that. Great.
1: Story, I know everyone asks you, but you have to tell us because not many have done it. But how did being in space influence you? What was it like?
3: Well, as a three-year-old in the forest alone at night, I had already arrived. So space was very tame. (laughs) 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 You do understand what a three-year-old in the forest alone is at night. Do you know what that's like? this is a three-year-old
0: i would imagine it would be terrifying
3: yes not but no? it, it's faith no you have the faith that whatever there is friendly to you because you're one of them you have the faith but in new england pine forest other than the branches scratching you there is nothing harmful and a pine forest is soft it's temperate the pine needles are soft the temperature is soft everything is soft you know a pine forest is soft it's the most beautiful caring thing possible So there isn't any harm, except if you can't see anything, you have to lead with the arm so you don't get scratched. But I'm saying a three-year-old in the middle of the night in a forest is impressive. It's more impressive than being in space. So you are out there. You are way out there. And you know you got the sky and you got the stars and you could get lost. You don't because you feel the bark of the tree. The bark leads you in. The bark leads you out. Because in Massachusetts, the north side of the tree has never seen the sun. And so the bark has a very different texture than the bark that it's seen this the sun. Now, moss, that's cheating. Moss is too obvious, so you can be more subtle than that. But I just feel the bark. On a cloudy night where I can't see the moon and the stars, I walk in the forest and I come out. I know where I am by feeling the bark. Oh, that's further out in space like this. And at 5, I built own raft and went down the river. You just lie on the back and you watch the raft. You sort of know where you are because you see the leaves and the trees overhead so spinning around, you know. Mm. So, but in terms of being out there, I had already been through that, that transcendental experience. Mm -hmm. I'd already been through that. So space law expands your horizons. Certainly you're seeing, you see geography, you see geography, it's only one way to see it. And you get incredibly good flight after flight. You get very good at, at seeing, you get very subtle about what you can see. It's unbelievable how good you get in what you can see and you practice and you work on that. But it's not that transcendent experience. It's just big and it's beautiful, in mm-hmm. the scale, you know.
0: I was just going to say, I wonder what would happen if you put a three-year-old up in
3: space. Well, they need to. It's a shame to have not had that imagination, and nor have they flown creatures in space. So, and you say yes, they have. They've never flown a creature that had the freedom to pursue the free fall condition. I call it free fall. It's not zero gravity. It's free fall. They have never flown a creature and let the creature explore the zero-g condition. So I came up with this whole study I would have done, a menagerie, and what kind of experiments I would do with each one of them, until you don't really know that until... You've watched creatures pursue that. Now, when does a squirrel leap off? When does a squirrel, you know, how does a squirrel orient? How do they like zero gravity? What's up and what's down for them? And so they probably orient to you. But when do they push off? Okay, they run around the way they do. They're pretty much three-dimensional creatures. A seal is 100% three-dimensional creature. Dogs are two-dimensional. But when does a squirrel push off and go flying from one side to the other? And if you're in a sphere, a homogeneous sphere, which is lit the same way, and is absolutely no indication of the up or down direction, what do the creatures do then? What do the humans do then, when there's no gravity orienter? And so,
0: where can somebody find
3: this? It doesn't exist. We've never done it.
0: Oh, I thought you said that you wrote up a paper with your, the experiments that you no, would do. No,
3: I've just pursued it myself. It's a pursuit thing, and I've tried to make it happen, and it never happened. It hasn't happened yet. We've been in space life for 50 years.
0: I'd never thought about that before until you just said that, and
3: I'm like... I've never seen a creature in zero-g.
0: I know, but now I want to see it. Who can we talk to to make it happen?
3: Well, how long did I try to make it happen?
0: Well, maybe this podcast will help.
3: <laughs> <laughs> well, it will, but you get to think about it. You get to think about it, you know, what it what it might be like. Yeah. It's... Now, I did. I flew with a bunch of rats, and that was for, you know, they're going to do scientific studies, throw them up there in space, and then do something to them when they got home, see what it did to them, and study them when they got home. My boss called me in, and I said, Story, you have rats on your flight. I do, sir. Your rats are going to stay in the cage. Now that I've told you, you get on the phone and call the big boss. I called the very big boss. Mr. Musgrave, you got rats on your flight. Yes, sir. They're to stay in the cage. So you see what they're doing to me? My rats are going to stay in the cage.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: Well, it's my last flight. It shouldn't have been my last flight, but they told me it's going to be the last. It should not have been my last. But if it's my last, they got no control over me. So I went to the cage, and the cage had two padlocks on it, and all the screws and bolts that held it together were on the inside of the cage, not on the outside. They knew what they were doing. I can't get to the cage. So the rat stayed in the cage. But I would have had a field day. (laughs) <laughs> I would have had the rats crawling inside my coveralls. I would have put Velcro booties on them. And, you know, Velcro booties, so they could have clung onto my coveralls. I would have put some pile, Velcro pile on my coveralls, and they'd have had to hook Velcro on their paw. And, and they could have just crawled all over me. You just see the sight of 20 rats and me. It's just outrageous. But see, the excitement of that kind of video was me playing in some closest space with 20 different rats in zero g now my goodness
0: i can't even imagine that would <laughs> but here you got a
3: space station and you've never seen a creature right in zero g right we've flown them but they have been attached yeah to the hardware or they've been yeah. in a cage and or they, we were not allowed to photograph them mm. so there you go
0: Well, this has been absolutely fascinating. Thank you so much for taking time to enlighten us with your experience and your point of view and just your own passion and curiosity for life.
3: Yeah, it was an incredible fit. It caught you knew what kind of fit it was going to be.
0: Yeah, I know.
3: It was, <laughs> she, spotted, you, she spotted that right off.
0: She did. But see, it took you being the one to reach out and being open to possibilities you don't know anything about to even contact her in the first place. So.
3: Well, that's why I ran into her, too. Yeah. But See, that's what the world, you'd be surprised. If you network, you'd be surprised some of the mutual things that happen. Absolutely. And enriches your life, you know. It's new people.
0: I agree. Yeah. I hope this isn't the last time that we speak.
3: Okay. I hope not too.
2: Okay.
1: Thanks a lot. Wow, Tracy, uh, rats in space. That should definitely happen. And I'm pretty much feeling like the greatest underachiever that ever lived having talked a story
0: yeah i was telling you recently all these amazing people that we've been talking to i'm starting to get this complex of like how how are you making all of these things happen in life? It's right like, do you not sleep
1: just perhaps he doesn't need sleep
0: yeah i mean some people don't but but then i think that that glorifies not sleeping, which is something that mo- <laughs> most people do need in order to achieve anything that they want to on a regular, consistent basis.
1: Here on results may vary. We are we do not condone the use of no sleep in order to achieve your ultimate state.
0: In fact, you should get more sleep probably if you want to do that. <laughs> yeah.
1: yeah, but what a great guy! And and uh, you know, I just I find it a privilege to talk to anybody who is eighty plus about anything i agree um, let alone story and here you just have a guy that i just wish we could ask him a hundred things because it felt like we were just getting started
2: right yeah
0: um
1: I, I loved his rapid storytelling from <laughs> tractors to tanks to, to the space shuttle it's well, it's fun to listen talk because it just to him it's just so obvious that that's why it happened but um As an outsider, it's like, wow, that's a pretty wild chain of events.
0: I know. It's like, it's obviously a story that he is, you know, that just lives within him. Um, Mm -hmm. But you're right. It was was fun to listen to it because it's just, that's one way to tell that story. Just as though, yeah. And then this other thing happened. And then I found myself in space.
1: (laughs) I also love the pressure he put on really questioning the notion of design. How intentional can you really be in your own life? And what I heard him ultimately saying is you, the motivation, right, is he was putting this sort of very complex piece together around it's a blend of your passion and motivation. And then some happenstance, it really is a blend of things but the idea, which I don't think we've ever promoted, though we haven't done a great job explaining, is that we're not suggesting you control your life, no. um, but you can put some intention behind it using some creative tools. And um, that's what we're trying to do on this podcast. And, and when I hear him talk, that's exactly what he's doing in some ways, in, in other very complex ways that certainly we can't just claim as, oh, cool, you're, you're obviously designing your life. He's got a a phenomenal perspective about life in which design can be inspired by what he's saying.
0: Well, I thought a really great example of how he's designing life was how he's helping to design his daughter's life.
1: Yeah, that was a great question. Yeah, that was like, a great question.
0: He's completely set up an environment for her to explore all different facets of of life and to... proficient with them or to just have fun and find joy in it and so yeah I thought that that was I mean all parents do that to a certain degree but then that's where I think to your point just just earlier is that the intentionality comes into it
1: yeah yeah and it and uh, was interesting that did not push the heavy um achievement pursuit for her, which I thought, uh, was a great question for you to ask is what, you know, why not?
2: Mm -hmm.
1: And, um, yeah, I think that that is a really good question.
0: Yeah. And I, I think the morality around it too, like he was saying, it wouldn't have been wrong to do it the other way. And, and it's certainly not. Um, I guess part of me feels like, in the current landscape of child raising, and I'm saying this as somebody who does not have a child, uh, so take it with a grain of salt, but I get the sense that there's much more pressure on kids to start things early and to specialize early. And I think that as you grow up and get older, it just shuts you off from the amazing complexity of the world
1: Yeah, and who right. you can be. That's right. I remember interviewing um, on an IDEO project, the coach of the Stanford swimming team. What was very apparent is that these athletes were highly, highly accomplished and a disproportionate number of medals go to the Stanford swim team in the Olympics. But what I was watching was one lane, literally in this case, one swim lane without a world view yet, without really... And exploration in other categories, which I found to be a little bit sad. Well, on one hand, I felt like I was watching a set of tiger parents seeing their vision come to life.
0: I see. Yeah.
1: (laughs) And not necessarily a a whole person that has fully chosen this as their path.
2: Right.
0: Um,
1: But that said, what's not sad about it is you see many people, not unlike story, where they simply take that learning and then go and reapply it. Yes, the next thing they're just reapplying it, reapplying it. And then that discovery just happens in a different fashion Yeah. versus kind of the artist kid that just does everything and anything finds it in a different way.
0: Yeah. I think that's, you really, you really hit something there to me, which is the allowing then the transition to something else and knowing how to take the applicable skills and apply them elsewhere versus feeling like this is the end all be all right. of your life, and you get to a certain point. I mean, athletes, especially, or you know, like models, or something. Your your physiology starts to break down, and yes. if if you don't have the ability to make those analogous leaps, then your entire self identity is, is tied. Crushed. Yeah.
1: Yes, that's right, and we see that all the time. There's so uh, great examples of that. But I think uh, I just there's just so much wisdom in this thing, and just I think. There's the his the tractor metaphor is really applicable to people in their adult life, too. It's like, if you want to know how to become an astronaut, start driving a tractor and working on it. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, that is applying my our thinking onto him. That was his V1, right? Like, that was it, these things as adults can seem really daunting. Yeah. And it's sort of especially people more of like a midlife crisis level, which is like, oh, I never. I never really pursued my rock band career or whatnot. Mm -hmm. But that definitely doesn't mean that you couldn't do open mic night. Right. You know what I mean? So I think this, um, the idea of like, what's the V one, the version one of tractor, tractor fixing to become an astronaut.
0: Yeah. I mean, if, if he, he talked about when he was three sort of, being put into a position where for survival purposes, he had to start doing things that most kids wouldn't have to do. And so by the time he was nine and and started to get older, um, those were inherent skills that he had gathered out of necessity. Um, and I wonder, you know, obviously it would have been a lot different if his parents decided at age three instead, um, you're going to become an astronaut, which I don't think even existed <laughs> then. But they would have tried to groom him in a way that might not actually get to the outcome that they want because yep. it's so specific.
1: Yes, that's right. That's right. Yeah, a ton of learning in that. And and I did really appreciate it. Like he didn't know that either. It's not like he's saying, no, I'm doing this to become an astronaut. That's where I love the the blend between. You have no idea what these skill sets are going to mean. You just need to keep going.
0: Well, and he, he went because he was curious about them. Like he said, um, he he was working in this mechanical world, and then it was sort of a not that big of a leap to the biological world and trying to make sense of how the brain works, right? So he's just following this natural progression of interests. And then oh, it happens that his unique skill set is exactly what's needed for this mission.
1: That's right. That's right. And I think people all over the world, people have these eclectic blend of skill sets that may manifest. They may never manifest into a combined something. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think about even you and I in our own individual curious pursuits, they may look really random. Like home improvement and mountain biking, long distances and healthcare and design. Like what's that mean? I don't know. Right. And and they may form something and and maybe they don't. And that's kind of the pleasure of life is to just do them do them all. hmm Um, maybe not concurrently. <laughs> but they you do you pursue them and then perhaps they do create something. Or you may actually have an intention around them, which is you know uh, both you ways might, work. Yeah, both ways work. Yeah, where you might be re- realizing that you see the stepping stones that are going to get you to that thing, or you just keep doing them, and maybe by happenstance someone says, "Hey, have you ever thought about combining those things?"
0: I think what's um, I, people like to put other people in boxes that they don't feel yes pertain to themselves yes and so I I hear you say that and I'm like. Yeah, we should all, you know, we should all have that flexibility to explore things just out of sheer curiosity. Um, But it's funny because I just feel like we then point to people and say, oh, I know you as this. You will always now be that to me. We just make it hard for each other to move beyond. (laughs) I know.
1: I know our our pegging and stereotyping each other is the worst.
0: Right. Okay. (laughs) But that's
1: funny because you do that to your spouse. I mean, you do you unintentionally do that all the time to people you love. Yeah. Right. Is you sort of you've got them kind of pegged, Um, and you might even be pegging them in a way that you think is wonderful. Like, oh, I love your art and and your mathematical mind and your career is great and not even knowing your um, boxing
0: I would venture to say that we do that to moms especially
1: Mm. you know like good point
0: you're you're supposed to be here for me when I xyz and yeah and mom is like guess what kid (laughs) 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 I'm my own person
1: that's right (laughs) Yeah. No, I think you're right. I think you're right. And sadly, a lot of times I don't think we realize that until you become the mom or or you're an adult and you can finally see that.
0: Yeah. Thanks Uh, moms.
1: Thanks moms. (laughs) This has been the mom show.
0: (laughs) Somehow this turned into the mom show. Cool. All right. That's a wrap. Thanks so much for listening. Our dream is to build a community of people who can create and take advantage of any opportunity that interests them. To do this really well, we'd love for you to participate. Try out and share back your own life design experiments. Or if you've already got a great story of how you've designed your life, we'd love to hear from you on our Facebook page or at resultsmayvarypodcast.com. Our website is also where you'll find show notes and links to all of the things we mentioned in the episode. And if you would be so kind, subscribe to the show and share your favorite episodes with friends. That'll let even more people start designing their own lives. A big thanks to the folks who help us make this show possible. Composer and filmmaker H.P. Mendoza for the Results May Very theme music. Graphic designer Anessa Bramer for our logo. David Glazier for sound mixing. And team podcast for editing. And of course, thank you so much for listening to
2: Results May Very.